Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Let's practice the rule of life. Let's just remain standing. We'll first breathe out everything that gets in the way um, of this moment, and we will inhale the breath of God. So let's exhale first. All the toxicities, all the concerns, and the thoughts in the back of our minds. Let's surrender. Breathe out. And let's breathe in the presence of God, the faithfulness of God, and the work of God. A reading from Jesus Calling Devotional. Depend only in me. Depending only on me may feel like walking on a tightrope, but there is a safety net underneath the everlasting arms. So don't be afraid of falling. Instead, look ahead to me. I am always before you, beckoning you on, one step at a time. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate you from my loving presence. Amen? Please be seated. We're back on our vision series where we're exploring the values, the ethos of our community. Today, our title for our series is Finding Your People. Now here, how many people... uh, by the raise of hands, like me, frequently lose things and mindlessly leave things behind. I've left my laptop at the airport four times, twice on a plane, twice in security, where you're supposed to take your laptop out. And, And ironically, I got it back three times. The only time I didn't get it back was in Mexico. They didn't give it back. Um... Sometimes uh, it gets so bad that one time I went to a restaurant to pick up a large order for a group of people that came to my house. And after paying for the food, I didn't pick up the food. I just left. And I, I only realized this when the person was chasing me. And he sarcastically said, aren't you forgetting something? Yes, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I've lost my mind. I mean, I had moms who visited our house and families that left their wallets. One time it was Christmas. I was like, Jenny, thank you. This is how I'm going to buy all my Christmas gifts. Uh, Maybe they just wanted to come back, hang out with us. But loss is a common human experience. Some losses are not substantial like others. They just take a bit of your time. It's just a bit inconvenient. You lose your phone, your wallet. For me, I lose things so much, people around me now don't get mad at me if I lose something. They blame the people around me because they they lost all hope. They blame, one time they blamed Henry, our media director, for me losing my wallet in the Caribbean. They said, Henry, how could you make him lose his wallet? Henry was like, did I really? 
I lost my wallet, but everybody blames him. But some losses are light, and they take a bit of a time. But other losses are so powerful, they have the power to unglue us, break us. And there's a large amount of empirical and quantitative evidence that it makes us sick. If that grief is left on our own and left to our own devices, the body keeps score, as the best-selling book says, that traumatic somatic experience remains. And we're triggered to that experience. And it's actually transcends time. When you're in trauma, you go back to that event. No matter who's there, no matter what is there. Here, in this passage, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, in many ways, lost something more valuable and more substantial. It was a loss of a marriage. Well, five marriages. You see, when you lose your spouse, you don't just lose a partner, you lose the companion you had your whole life and the home you made together. This woman and her mounting losses were so great, you don't know her name. You could have changed her name to regret and despair. And in fact, John doesn't tell us or give us her name. He tells us what she lost. And the truth is, you don't know. Look at the person to the left and right. You don't know. You mean you know them, what they look like, but you don't know someone's soul unless you know what they've lost. You don't know them. And that's exactly the story Jesus finds himself in when he meets this woman at the well. And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? When our lives are unglued and we're at a loss for the words, we're lost for words for all we've lost. Jesus finds us in the valley and puts us back together again patiently piece by piece. This is a dimension of salvation that's often unexplored. A lot of times we like to discuss just the vertical aspect of the cross. We look at the cross and we say the blood and the water flowed after he was pierced. And it just forgives our sins, the evils we've done to ourselves and others. When in fact, the blood that water froed from the cross was actually a portal, a temporal dimension that opened up time to heal every single loss and pain in history. God's healing power from the cross heals your whole life, the totality of time. And that blood and that water flowed create a ripple in time, can heal every single part. That's the good news, amen, of the gospel. This is why when she meets Jesus, hence our name, she experiences a 180 change, a 
total change of her life. But the question is, how then does God apply that healing balm of salvation to those who've been unglued and mugged by loss? Well, let's look at the text. I think there's two things we see here, and it's the healing balm. Simply, before going into the points of, of the lessons of the text, God uses community to heal us. Tell someone next to you, community. And tell them, tell them, like, tell them again, whether you like it or not. Because in this American modern culture, we're all about independence, not interdependence. If you study anything about effectiveness, the science of effectiveness, Steve Covey makes it very clear, the best, one of the best business-selling books from Harvard and others and Wharton, it's about interdependence. There's no way you can find a holistic life, a flourishing life without interdependence. But a lot of times, the losses make us move against the world and move away from the world. Move against and away. When we have to press in. Here, Jesus meets the women and help, helps her. She's unglued and lost. So how this, this salvation process take place? First lesson, let's put this up. What does God do? Read it with me. What? He sends his people even if we may not want to be found. How do people hear when you're grieving, want to talk to someone. Raise your hand if you want to talk to someone if you're grieving. Or if you're, if you're sad, you want to talk. That's, that's, then you move in. You're actually exhibiting something healthy. I'm totally opposite of that. I, I'm an, uh, like a level 10 introvert. If I'm talking to you, you know I love you. <laughs> but the natural propensity when you are marked by trauma or loss is moving away. Isolation. So why does God send His people even if we may not want to be found? Well, if you're lost, lost for words, lost, you lost your way because everything about your life has changed or shifted, how could you find God? You can't. How could you find your healing? You can't, even though dysfunctionally, in maladaptive ways, you'll try. You can't because you're lost. Tell someone next to you, you're lost. How can you find something when you're lost? No, you're lost. That's when you need help. And that's why God sends his people. And if you look very carefully at verse 4, it says that now he had to go to Samaria, which is very odd, right? If you watched Chosen last year during our two remote services, you know that Jews never go to Samaria. They go around it, adding three more their uh, journey because they take the longer route. They go out of their way to avoid Samaria because of racism and prejudice. But the text here, John writes it in a way where everybody would read that first line and everybody in the first century would be like, why? You go around it, you go through the Jordan, six days instead of three. And, and the question is, when you read the text carefully, the woman was at the well at noon. You know, the Middle East, it's very hot. 
That doesn't make any sense. You don't draw water at noon. You go in the cool of the day where you can bring it back. Obviously, she's, what, in isolation. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to interact. Then why does Jesus show up at the well at noon knowing full well the women didn't want to be bothered? She wanted to be alone. Three reasons. And these are important. And it applies to all of us. Sometimes what we want is not what we need. I mean, if I did everything I wanted, I wouldn't be able to walk in here. You would have to roll me in here. Right? I mean, I would just hold haagen everywhere I go. If, when you see me in heaven, you can find me because I will have haagen But I'll be my perfect physique. Two ways you can find me. But sometimes we, what we want is not what we need. And that's the problem in a culture of independence. If you do everything you're drawn to or you're not comfortable with, then you're never going to get what you need. Now, did the woman want to be found? No. Was she lost? Yes. But did she need to be found? Yes. Did she need community? Yes. And God saw that. So what? The Holy Spirit, and this is the next week's message, but the Holy Spirit led Jesus into Samaria for this one person that was lost. Which means if you're lost or lost for words, no one knows what you're going through and you're unglued, then you can make, you can be sure, certain that God is looking at you and waiting for you. Second reason, sometimes what we fear most is actually what we need most. That's the area that God wants to save us from. And lastly, doing things we don't want to do at first is largely part of becoming a mature adult. You can't not show up to work, right? You gotta take out the garbage or your spouse will beat you up. You gotta do the dishes, you gotta cook, you gotta pay the bills. But that's also largely part of spiritual directions. That's why it's called disciplines for a reason. We have to discipline the propensities of the heart to stir it in ways we don't wanna go at times because we need it not because we want it. The question in the scientific age is the question, the empirical evidence, can you really change? Are homo sapiens simply evolved animals that cannot evolve its animal instinct? You're just captive to your temperament. You know, you have a bad personality, tough. And there was actually, my wife actually shared with me an article from the New Yorker that was actually pretty profound. They did this study about 50 years ago, still going on today in New Zealand. 
And from 1973, they explored, and this is not like a phenomenology type of study. This is an ongoing study, and they do not determine a thesis and try to prove it. They just observe the lives of 1,073 babies for about 50-something years to see how your temperament influences who you become. Do you change? Can you change? Is the science of change, can even, can, can that work? Well, this is what they said from the study. And I'll read you the quote. The Dewan study suggests that if someone who tends to move against the world marries the right person or finds the right mentor, he might begin to move in a more positive direction. His world will have become more beneficent co-creation. Even if much of the story is written, a rewrite is always possible. So, in the science of change, a catalyst, a positive catalyst is necessary for you to change. Or the state you're in will always be the state you're in. This is why God sends his people. Or we'll stay at loss for words and at a loss. We will be coping and surviving, but we will not be flourishing. We'll be basically stuck in a state, perpetual state of a prosaic neurosis, meaning we will just live out the dysfunction and the neuroses over and over again. And we'll keep pushing against the world, pushing against people. And the older you get, and the more stuck you are in your ways, the harder to change. This is why the most powerful thing about John chapter 4 and its relation to 180 is the women recognized, the women recognized in the season of Epiphany that this was someone who God sent to her. She knew this was her person. It just happened to be the Messiah. But let me apply this to us. In our own stubbornness, in our own lostness, in our own darkness, when you recognize God has sent a person, His people, in the issues in our lives, in the areas of life we don't want to be touched, the issues we fear most, issues we don't want to talk about, places we're stuck in, and you know God sent them. You need to grab that person because God sent them. And the truth is, if you've changed in here, in the last decade, you changed because of that reason. A marriage or a mentor or his people, God's person. The worst thing in this life is to repeat the same patterns of destruction, moving against and moving away over and over again because of trauma and because of pain and loss, and never changing, never seeing the full potential of your life and the purposes that God has called you to. So I pray that the Holy Spirit today would convict us about those two things, areas of 
where we don't want to address, we don't want to talk about. But if God is sending his person, his people, carpe diem, seize the day. Because what you fear most is what you need most. And there's a limited time for change. Because the more you are stuck in your ways, the harder it is to change. But that's the good news of the gospel, right? Our darkness is great. Our stubbornness is great. But his love was what? Greater. Amen? So that's the first thing. He sends his people. Second, Jesus doesn't just reconcile her to God and his community, the disciples and himself, and you know, reconciles this vertical relationship, enters the, the story of her loss, and, and finds her. He helps her connect to community again, to other people. So sometimes God sends his people. Second lesson is then he helps us, what? Find our people. That's the second lesson. The healing balm of salvation is applied in redemptive history through others. He might heal us, restore us, but he connects us to a community. Right? She goes back. But, but the confounding question is, why does Jesus reconnect the woman to those who she was avoiding? And in many ways, the community that was avoiding her. Both didn't want it. And again, it goes back to this simple truth. Because they needed each other. It's not what they wanted. It's what they needed. The whole thing today is about what we need, not what we want. It's not a sexy sermon. But it's a much needed one. The people in the town needed her testimony of God's amazing grace. The good news that if you're stuck in life, if you're captive to grief, there's healing. And the kingdom of God has come. And God has the power to change your life. Your worst day isn't your last. So they needed her testimony, but she also needed a place to call home again. Mother Teresa says this. Today, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Whether you like it or not, we belong to each other. Community is not what you want all the time, but it is what you need. For me, in my own journey from 2011 to 2015, for someone who started this community with my wife, and many who gave their lives to start this church, I needed my people too, but I lost my way because in those four years, 2011 to 2015, my mom passed away in 2011. Then my dad passed away three years after, around 2014, 2015. Sorry, dad, I forget when you died. I apologize. But those four or five years, 
I was unglued. I was undone, broken. I've lost my sense of direction and sense of self because I didn't realize it. For many years in my life, I credited my confidence and my ability to the mentors around me, to the books I've read. But when my, both my parents passed away, I realized the reason I could risk, the reason I could do crazy things for the kingdom and dare and have this audacious dreams is because of the foundation of love and confidence I found in my parents. And when that confidence and support was gone, it broke me. This is what Jim Wilder said, right? I read it a few weeks ago. In the other half of the church, attachment is the strongest force in the human brain. It is an emotion. It is not an emotion, although we feel it strongly. And attachment runs much deeper in the brain below willful control. Attachment is the best word scientists could find for what glues people together and little creatures to their parents. It produces an enduring, enduring care for well-being for another. And this is, I think, the profound statement for me when I read it. Attachment is a life-giving forever bond with no mechanism in the brain to unglue us. So what happens when this attachment that can't be unglued is gone? Physically, it unglues you. So when the foundation was gone for those four years, I, I couldn't tell, and, there, and our church was going through a very turbulent season as well. I've been hurt before by people or when my, when my parents were alive, and it didn't really affect me because that foundation was still there. I couldn't tell anymore. I couldn't read if people wanted to spend time or they had to spend time. You know what I'm saying? If they wanted to talk to you or they're obligated to talk to you. It's like you're trying to read it and I just no longer had a compass because the confidence was shattered in many ways because I, I didn't know who I was anymore to some sense because they were my greatest support. I was unglued. And then, my, at my 40th birthday, this is what helped me find my way again. And it was this community. The community I started helped me find my people. And healed, started to heal me. So you're a pastor for many years. You, you don't know anymore. Sometimes you lose your way too. It was my 40th birthday party. We had a whole group of people with families come on Saturday to the Harvard Club, and we had a great brunch, whatever. And honestly, I did it this way so that we could create the most convenient way for people to celebrate. And honestly, Sunday we did, you know, invited to the church for people to come to a cafe, just hang out and have some pizza. I think we had fried chicken, though. But I was surprised when people who came Saturday, mostly all families too, also came on Sunday. I remember still today, I was at, where's Shake Shack? That's Washington Square Park, right? 
Is that Madison Square Park? I always get those confused. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I was with, I think, um, Eddie, Cho, Andrew Lee, and a couple other families. I'm in, and Jenny, and, and, and I was like, aren't you guys going home? And they looked at me like I was crazy. I looked at them like they were crazy. I'm like, well, you guys came yesterday. And they said, what do you mean? Of course we're coming today. And for whatever it was, at that moment, I felt safe again. Because it went so above my expectations. I, I've learned to not expect anymore from anyone. I thought my parents were the only ones that would do something like that, right? Like, give you your time. And in many ways, it healed me. And asking for things for me in my life today is still difficult. <laughs> Someone picked this up. <laughs> uh, it's still difficult. Like in my book party, it was hard. Someone had to throw for me star and really organize that. But they even said me giving a speech at my own book party, even though I wrote like 250 words in a book, it was difficult to say thank you. When you're lost and unglued, people have to save you from yourself. And many of you here saved me from my greatest loss in my life. Remind me that God's family is a safe family. So thank you. Um, so as we conclude our message today, the question I have for you is, are you also looking for what you need, not just what you want, what you're comfortable with? Because 180 value, the idea of finding your people, the idea of community, it's not what you want sometimes, especially in grief, but it's what you need. Who are the people that are going to find you when you're lost? You can't find those people when you're lost. You have to develop those people, build relationships with those people now. I want to conclude today with a story about my wife and Josh. Sometimes we're all kids. I just want to say you're all 10 years old right now. Remember when you were 10, how irrational you were, right? Josh said, like, like a year or two, his ear was hurting because he had, I don't know what it is about our family trait and my side, we get a lot of earwax, like Shrek earwax. My wife is just always confounded by how could you could build, we can like have a candle store. Like, I mean, like she was saying, it's just so much. It's like every week. And Josh was hurting. His ear was hurting because he had a candle stuck there. Like it was. And my wife was like, let me pick it for you. He's like, okay, okay. We tried this for an hour. <laughs> she got the ear picker, and Josh was ready, but he was so afraid. 
He thought that if the picker goes through his ears, it would cut out his brain. And he kept screaming like a girl. I'm sorry, that's no, not a, no, but he started screaming like a girl, even though he hasn't gone through puberty yet, but he was screaming like a girl. And my wife just got upset at one point. I can't take it out if you're freaking out. He goes, I can't do it today, I can't do it. We had to wait a month until she could pick it. But whether you're 35, 45, or, or 10, we're going to need each other. You're going to need your people. You're going to need people that are going to put up when you push against and push away. The people that will not only tolerate it, like Jesus did, at this meeting this woman at the well, your people that will put up with the fights. Those are the people we attach to. The people who turn inwards. The people who are willing to take the tantrums and the venting. Whether you're 10 or 50, we're all going to need each other at one point or another. That's why we need each other. That's why you have to find your people. Amen? Stand and pray together. <laughs> Can we get a bigger table or something? So today... Our second value that we explored was finding our people. Finding the people that we need. Not always want, but need. People that are willing to push back when we push them away. When we push against and pull away when we're confounded by life, mugged and unglued by the events that will take place. That's why it's worth the investment to find those people. And that's why we're a community <laughs> where real lives are shared and celebrated. So will you lift your hands with me today? Will you surrender with me? Pushing away and pushing against. Our neuroses, our fears. Will you tell the Lord today, God, I want to be able to seize the moments when you send your people. I want to attach to the people that you send to me so they can find me when I'm lost. They can help me find you and carry me in the moments in my life where I need it most.
Let's make this our prayer. You lead me here to your courts. Surround me with your love. I walk with you. I do not fear. In this place, Father, we come before you this afternoon with this vision of becoming people who carry each other, who become the people need in times of loss, when we're mugged and unglued by life.
So today, as we close, guys, heart to heart, real talk. I pray that we become people that can carry each other's burdens. I pray that we become people that would push against when our friends are pushing away or pushing against the world. Because they're in pain, because they're at loss. And like Jesus, we would press in. And I pray that we transcend our own pettiness. We would transcend our own impatience and grow to become men and women of mercy and grace and compassion. To help people change the trajectories of their lives for the better. For the greater good and the glory of the kingdom. Helping others see the best in themselves and the best lives that God has for them. I pray that that would mark our community. That when people come and see, they would see the hands and feet of Jesus in us and through us. Amen. Let's bow our heads today for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with them, be with us now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.